0: I guess if I said, who would like to increase their overall sense of well-being, we'd all say yes. That's the aim of this series. And last Sunday, John Harbour did a great introduction to our well-being series. If you missed it, you can find it on our website. I may well be repeating some of the things he said, but probably in a slightly different way. John talked about six areas of well-being. Physical, which I'm going to focus on later. Emotional. Emotional spiritual, relational, financial, and vocational. These are all linked. For example, how I'm feeling emotionally can affect how I relate to others. I want to start, though, by asking you a few questions. Here's the first one. How are you feeling right now? How are you feeling emotionally? Do you feel reasonably happy, sad, depressed, elated? I expect that there have been peaks and troughs. Both high and low points with most of us during this pandemic. I've certainly had some highs and lows. I've missed being able to meet and sing freely together as a church without masks and social distancing. I've not enjoyed feeling like a leper when I go out as people avoid me by crossing over to the other side of the road. But I'm trying to look for the lights on the runway, those continuing blessings from the Lord as we journey along, separated, but still together in Christ. I'm still trying to be grateful for every blessing. I'm still trying not to be dismissive about the artificiality of Zoom meetings. I know for some of you, it's even been a bit of a trial just to be able to log in. And then you probably find someone shouting, You're on mute! Even doing this talk in this way, speaking into a camera, is for me outside my comfort zone. I like to move around, as some of you probably know, and be more expressive, <laughs> but I have to stand pretty still, which I find a bit difficult. I've personally found dull winter days depressing, and, and yet the other day, in my daily walk, I saw some early snowdrops and felt that it was a small sign of hope that the long winter of lockdowns will pass. Here's another question. What about physically? Do you feel well, or are you in some kind of pain? Are you fully mobile or physically confined in some way? I know that as I speak, those of you watching will be faced with a variety of physical situations. For example, our youngest son, he broke his ankle very badly playing football over four years ago. His ankle was, foot was twisted around 180 degrees. It was nasty. He's been in constant pain when walking, been in and out of hospital and had six operations on it and is still in a cast. Some of you, on the other hand, may well have been disappointed that you weren't able to run in the London Marathon last year. I've noticed as well that we are awash with books on diet, fitness, and sleep. Here are some titles I saw the other day. Lean in 15. 15 minutes and workouts to keep you lean and healthy. Here's another one. Lose weight for good. Here's another one. Sleep well, the mindful way to wake up to a Healthier, happier you. Feel better in five, your daily plan to feel great for life. One thing is clear it's big business. What I'm not going to be doing this morning is what many of these books and online videos on diet, fitness, and sleep are trying to do. But I am going to be talking about God's plan for your well being regarding physical well being. And I'm going to be inviting all of us just to reflect about where we see we are in terms of our physical well-being. I'm going to be basing this around the story of the prophet Elijah, focusing on 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 9. I will be looking briefly at four areas after that as follows. One, a biblical view of the physical world. Two, eating well-being. Three, sleeping well-being. And four, physical activity well-being. But I'm going to start with Elijah. First, let's consider the story of Elijah. I know John went over it last week, but I think it would be helpful just to remind ourselves again. Elijah lived during the reign of a very wicked king, Ahab, and Queen Jezebel. 1 Kings 16 verse 30 tells us that Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Later on, it says Ahab did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. In addition, Jezebel was a wicked queen. She's so wicked that her name has been used down through the ages, like the name Judas, as an insult. I can remember growing up as a young boy in Scotland, and if a woman was described as a Jezebel, it wasn't exactly a compliment. And that's over two and a half thousand years later. Shows the extent of her wickedness. Let's also not forget that in those days, a king had absolute authority. He could decide if you lived or died. This was the context of Elijah's ministry. Now, anointed by the Lord, Elijah prophesied that there would be a drought for three years. I mean, this was designed to bring the king and people back to their senses. Then Elijah was sent away for three years by the Lord. And at the end of them, he went to King Ahab and confronted him about, what his, about his wickedness. And we then had the famous contest on Mount Carmel described in the book of 1 Kings 18, where Elijah called down fire upon a sacrifice and ordered all the false prophets executed. And then Elijah prayed and the drought ended. Now when Jezebel heard, she was not amused, to say the least. Elijah, as we see, is both obedient, courageous, and as we shall see, very vulnerable. We take up the account now, and I'm going to read from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 to 9. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for forty days and for forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. You see, after the high of defeating the false prophets and intense prayer that Elijah did to end the drought, and then running with supernatural ability, the equivalent of a marathon to the city of Jezreel, Elijah is faced with a very real death threat by Queen Jezebel. The Good News Bible puts it like this. May the God strike me dead if by this time tomorrow I don't do the same thing to you that you did to the prophets. She certainly exerted a lot of power over her weak husband, as we would see if we read on. As we read in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, which would suggest that Jezebel had already given orders for Elijah's murder to be carried out forthwith. Elijah had then had enough. He prayed that he might die. He was at a very low point in his life. I wonder what low points you may have had, or perhaps you may be going through them right now. And what does the Lord do in Elijah's case? It says, Elijah lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread Baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Happened a second time, verse 7. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. So, what does the Lord do here? The Lord ministers to Elijah's physical needs of rest, sleep, food, and drink. This says to me, that our physical well-being is very important. I want to look, first of all, at a biblical view of the physical world. In the early centuries of Christianity, there was a heresy called Gnosticism. It taught that humans are divine souls trapped in a material world, that matter is inherently evil and spirit is good. Even today, in some religions, it's seen that it's the spiritual that matters, And somehow we have to liberate ourselves from the material world. It's not what the Bible teaches. In the book of James, he writes this, for example, chapter 3, verse 15. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And God created both a spiritual and physical environment. And when God made the physical cosmos, he declared that it was very good. And we still see something of that goodness in the physical world. If nothing else, all those David Attenborough programs showing the beauty and diversity of the physical world demonstrate something of how good the untainted creation must have been. In addition, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20, Do you not know? That your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Wow. To consider, just consider for a moment that your body is a temple, and not just any old temple, but a temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? In one sense, regardless of your physical state, whether you are an Olympic athlete or struggling with disability or major health issues, if you're a Christian, then your body is equally a temple of the Holy Spirit. I think it would be good if we could just affirm that together now by saying my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you up for that? Should we say that together right now? Three, two, one. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember also speaking of Christ the apostle John says in John 1:14 the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us god doesn't despise or minimize the physical when we look at Jesus dying on the cross we see that it was a very physical event nails tore through his hands and feet A crown of thorns was mockingly put on his head. A spear was thrust into his side. There was blood. He was thirsty. There was suffering in his physical body. And the physical was inextricably linked, interwoven, and meshed with the spiritual. Our sins were forgiven. Our relationship with God was restored. The way to heaven was opened. Perhaps you're watching this and don't yet know the joy of having your sins forgiven. You would like to have a relationship with God. You're exploring that. Perhaps you're seeking as you watch. And what I would do is I would encourage you to speak with someone in our online prayer after this service. And they will be very happy to help you. In addition to the incarnation, after Jesus' resurrection, when he appears to his disciples and they're afraid, thinking that it's a ghost, Jesus assures them, Luke 24, 38, 39, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So what I want to say, really, it's quite simple. Look after your physical well-being as best you can, given your particular situation. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's the only one you've got This side of eternity, it's important and it's linked to our overall sense of well-being. Now I want to move on to some practical areas here. And the first one is eating well-being. Well, I have to say we are amazingly blessed here in the UK that we have an abundance of food and drink from all over the world and so easily accessible. You don't even have to leave your house to get it either. Online grocery shopping is amazingly popular now during this lockdown. You can order food online just using your mobile phone. I guess one of the dangers, of course, is, is overeating. Lockdown hasn't helped, I must admit myself. And with Christmas just gone, I have to say this, though. I'm not here to put you on a guilt trip. But this well-being series encourages us to consider any adjustments that would be helpful to make. I found personally that spending more time at home without the routine of going into work and how it breaks up the eating day, has meant I have probably slid into some not-so-good eating habits. So I think I personally can make an adjustment there. How about you? Do you ever find yourself getting a bit cranky? Small things that may increase your stress levels. One of our sons, and I've asked permission from him to share this, would get cranky from time to time. And Joe and I would look at each other and say, hmm, he needs to eat. (laughs) Sometimes it may be as simple as that. A bit like when you get a computer problem and you could spend hours trying to solve it. And the simplest thing to do is just to switch it off and switch it back on again. And everything seems to be fine again. I guess it's about thinking about how our eating may affect our moods. You may be a late evening meal eater. Personally, I prefer to eat an evening meal early as it helps my sleep better. The question is, do we control our food or does our food control us? And as regards alcohol, I know that Jesus turned water into the best wine, vintage, no doubt. But he certainly didn't encourage consuming more than was good for us. If I drink alcohol, the question is again, do I control alcohol or does it control me? It's remembering that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And does what we eat and drink enable us to function wisely and well? Second thing I want to look at here is sleeping well-being. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where you've seen young, tearful children at an evening wedding reception. They're restless. They won't be pacified. They cry louder. They get red in the face. They may even start to wail. And the reason for that... (laughs) it's well past their bedtime. They just want to be tucked up fast asleep in bed. (laughs) Not just children, of course. I may not wail and get red in the face, but I may get cranky simply because I haven't had enough sleep. I have a watch that I can wear that monitors my sleep pattern. And I've come to the conclusion that I need seven hours sleep a night on average. And if I get that, I can function pretty well. When I get it, how about you? Do you have, a, for example, a bedtime wind-down pattern? Again, personally, I read before going to sleep. Usually until I can't read anymore. Then I just drop off. (laughs) If I wake in the night, I'll sometimes go through the Lord's prayer, thinking about each phrase. And I'm not saying that to give any sense of spirituality, but I will sometimes ponder phrases in the Lord's Prayer and what it means. I did that the other night and my mind kept wandering, so I dragged it back and I was asleep pretty quickly after that. (laughs) Let's put it this way, I didn't get to the end of the prayer. I read this the other day and I've seen it more than once since I first read it. Nature has not intended mankind to work from eight in the morning until midnight without that refreshment of blessed oblivion, which if it only lasts 20 minutes, is sufficient to renew all the vital forces. And that was Winston Churchill who said that. It was recently reported, and interestingly enough, denied that Boris Johnson sometimes has, and I quote, a power business executive nap to get him ready for the rest of the day. I have to say, I laughed at that phrase, a power business executive nap. Afternoon kip to you and me. Of course, you have to be careful that if you sleep in the day, you may not sleep so well at night. I guess it depends on your particular situation and circumstances. I knew a member of King's who had a five-minute power nap at work during her lunch break. She would put her head on her bag on a desk and be able to have a very short snooze and be ready for the rest of the day. And I did think, I wonder what it might be like if this got adopted by the King's Church staff, and you rang up say between one o'clock and half past one in the afternoon to get this voice message that the staff were unavailable at this moment because they were having a power executive nap. (laughs) Just a thought. How are you sleeping? Do you have a good going to sleep routine? Do you like the room pitch dark? I know some people do, or with a small light on. What do you find helpful in sleeping well? If you wake in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep, try pondering a scripture. Here are a couple from both Old and New Testaments. Here's one from the Old Testament. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Here's one from the New Testament. Love is patient, love is kind. Plenty there to think about. Or perhaps you could even try praying. And now let's look at physical activity well-being. Now, I appreciate that we are different ages with different physical abilities. I remember vividly once when I was in the gym jogging on the treadmill. There was a young guy beside me running a lot faster and further than me. I could have thought, look at him. You're a snail compared to him. You might as well give up. And I was reminded of a verse from the book of Isaiah at that time from Isaiah chapter 40 that says, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. I'm not 25, as you can see. I haven't been 25 for a long time. So I'm not going to compare myself with what a 25 year old can do. So don't compare yourself with others. Have you ever had what I call a bit of a strange conversation? I once had one at a funeral I was taking. This was a few years ago. I got chatting with one of the mourners who was in his 70s, and I can't remember the exact reason, but he told me that he could still bend over and touch his toes. Not only that, but he proceeded to demonstrate. I was very impressed. But thinking about it, so can I. I'm going to demonstrate. You won't see it all, though. I just bend my knees and voila, easy, I've touched my toes. So don't be tempted to compare yourself with others, but consider what might be helpful for you to help your physical activity well-being. Don't be tempted to go overboard either. For as the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. So the Lord is interested in your physical well-being. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. I've recently read a wonderful book written by a Nepali ex gurkha an ex-special boat service soldier, who had it in his heart to break the world time record for climbing the highest 14 mountains in the world, and then to climb the second highest mountain in the world, K2, In winter, it had never been done before. Amazingly, he did it. And here's a photo of him doing it. But it was done one small step at a time. The small steps led him to reach his goal. By the way, he didn't do it alone. Here's another picture. He did it with others. Can I encourage you to be part of one of our well-being small groups? so we can encourage one another and choose one thing to focus on. What small step might you make? Choose one thing, a few suggestions. Eating well-being, and these are aimed at me more than anybody else. I'm going to eat a piece of fruit instead of a packet of crisps. Sleep well-being, and here's one that Joy and I have done throughout our married life. I'm not going to talk about important things after 10.30 p.m. Physical well-being. If you can walk, then go out for a walk as much as you can. Daily, perhaps. If you enjoy running, then you run. If you can't do either of those things, then when you can, perhaps just sit outside and listen to the birds or feel the wind on your face. And I'm sure there are other things that you could do that you can think of. Good physical, physical well-being will spill over into other areas of your life. And remember, if you're a Christian, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So please rejoice in that truth. Amen.